Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Lindley Ashline. Lindley creates photographs that celebrates the unique beauty of bodies that fall outside conventional beauty standards. She is also the creator of Body Liberation Stock and the Body Love Shop, a curated resource for body-friendly products and artwork. Welcome, Lindley. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and I guess your struggles with your body, if any, and how you came to be a photographer and fat art curator? Sure. Uh, As you can probably tell by my accent, I'm an American. I live Mm -hmm. outside Seattle, Washington, and I um, have a bit of an, an unusual backstory regarding body image. I grew up without a TV functionally. Um, there was physically one in our house, <laughs> but we wow. lived in a rural area. We lived in a rural area and we didn't really get a lot of reception for like public television and we didn't have cable. So I just didn't have a lot of pop culture influence growing up. And that doesn't mean that I didn't absorb the messages that we all get from culture about bodies and weight and worth, but I didn't get them as heavily as most other people I know. So my body acceptance journey personally has been pretty easy for me because I didn't have as much to work through. Mm -hmm. And, And because I have that advantage, I always talk about that a little bit uh, when I'm speaking, because otherwise it's really easy for people who have had the full dose of body hatred that's instilled in all of us. It's really easy to look at me and go, well, she got, she's so far along because she's just that great. And I will never reach that point. And Mm -hmm. I just had a little bit of an advantage, but I did, you know, I did grow up absorbing those messages just like everybody does. And I got to a point when I was in my 20s, I'm 40 now, and when I was in my 20s, I was also very, fairly poor growing up, and I didn't have access to diils in the sense that I couldn't afford, um, at the time, slim fast shakes here oh, in the United yeah, States were yeah. a, a big fad. And I would look at those in the store, and I, could, I couldn't afford to buy them. And so I wanted to diet. I wanted to shrink my body. I was well aware that my body was not acceptable. Mm. (laughs) And so one of my financial goals as a young adult was to be wealthy enough to afford to diet. (laughs) (laughs) It's something I've never really thought about before in terms of um, dieting. You know, if we think about the programs, Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, Slim, yeah, they all cost money, don't they? Yeah. uh, Dieting is a class marker, a socioeconomic class marker as much Mm -hmm. as anything else. Mm -hmm. So I reached that point eventually and I started to diet. And I discovered, just like almost everyone else discovers, (laughs) that it didn't work. 
I started to yo-yo. What age were you when you started to diet? In my mid twenties. Yeah. Okay. That's quite late and, actually. That's yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and again, part of that is because I didn't have that, that desire wasn't mm. instilled in me as strongly. So it was just sort of the, one of those, it was like a, a bucket list goal. Mm. <laughs> you know, some people want to go to, to Europe. I wanted to, to be able to afford to diet. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I graduated from college. I landed mm. a, a middle class technical writing job in a big city and I started investing in dieting mm. and investing in exercise equipment and all the things that are sort of ancillary to that. Yeah. And I started to yo-yo. Mm. I lost and gained the same 25 pounds for a, for a year or so. It didn't take me very long to get bored with this. Mm. I started to realize that this wasn't working. And like almost everybody else does, I blamed myself. Yeah. I'm not dedicated enough. I'm not working hard enough. I don't want it badly enough. Mm. I'm too broken to lose weight. I'm just mm. holding on to this weight protectively. <laughs> and and all these stories that we're told. Mm. And at the same time, I was discovering Live Journal which was, um, I, it still exists, it's not as popular, um, but this was in the mid-2000s. I was discovering the world of plus-size fashion on LiveJournal, which is a, a blogging community type site. It was like a pre-Facebook. Mm-hmm. And somebody had linked me over to this plus-size fashion website, or a fashion community within LiveJournal, and it blew my mind. Because for the first time in my life, I was seeing larger bodied women who were fashionable and stylish Mm. and living their lives unapologetically. Wow. And I'm not a person who is very into fashion or trendiness Mm -hmm. or clothing, really. But seeing that blew my mind. Like, oh, my gosh, this is a thing that is possible for a, a person in a body like mine. What is this? And so I just started lurking. And like absorbing this and just starting to see bodies like mine in a positive light. And from there, from there, I discovered fat acceptance, Mm -hmm. uh, which now people talk about body positivity. And this was just, this was a little bit before body positivity was a thing, but body positivity is an offshoot of fat acceptance. So for the first time in my life, I was seeing people in bodies like mine, women Mm. in, in fat bodies and larger bodies. In a positive light, you know, not not associated with a negative trait or or associated with a scare story or or you know some kind of negative consequence. Just these people who were living their lives and being very fashionable and trendy and confident. So from this live journal community, um, from there I discovered fat acceptance, yeah. uh, which and now now you hear people talk about the body positive movement mm-hmm. and. And that is an offshoot of fat acceptance. Um, At the time, body positivity wasn't really a a movement. So I discovered fat acceptance. And these authors, these bloggers, who were, again, tended to be people who were living very confidently in their bodies and talking about being very confident in their bodies. Mm -hmm. And just, again, just blew my mind. Um, And from there, I discovered, I started discovering the science around bodies and weight and discovering that we don't really have a way to make bodies smaller in the long term, scientifically, you Mm -hmm. know, like calories in and calories out and all these different diets, they don't work in the long term. And it felt very validating because, because I had just been through this experience Mm -hmm. of diets not working. (laughs) And, 
and blaming that on myself. And it turns out that that wasn't my fault at all. Oh, it was, right. it was because human bodies want to protect us and they want us to maintain the size we are um, because otherwise they think that we're starving and they want to protect us from, from starving. Yeah. So once I found out how much we've been lied to um, mm. about bodies in the service of profit, I got really mad. And that's where I started becoming an activist myself. Yeah. And at the same time all this was happening, I had a corporate job, a series of corporate jobs in marketing. And I, I was also a hobby photographer doing like nature photography. Mm -hmm. uh, so all these things were going on at once. But I was in these marketing jobs where I had to find photos to use. Mm. And they were always of people in thin bodies. Of course. And of course, there's nothing wrong with being in a thin body, but that was the only option. Like yeah, there were no photos of larger people. Yeah, like larger people don't exist. Right. So in 2015, when I got fed up with a really crappy corporate job and I said, screw it, I'm going to be a photographer full time. I immediately knew who I wanted to work with because mm -hmm. it was already um, body acceptance was already the center of my personal life anyway. Yeah. So it just made perfect sense to integrate all these things. And so there's something, there's a couple of things that you've brought up. Firstly, thank goodness you only did that to yourself for a year because many people, and I'm sure people listening today have been on that weight cycling, yo-yo dieting cycle. I mean, I know I was for so many years, you know, I get people in my therapy sessions who are like 20, 30, 40 years and are still uh, going around with that. So um thank goodness. But the other thing is you use the word fat and you're my first, oh no, I had um, Cheryl Fuller talk about fat as well, but just for people listening, people freak out when they hear the word fat. <laughs> so <laughs> It's true. It's it true. is. So as someone in a big body myself and who would use the term fat myself, for people listening, why is it okay for people in big bodies to say that they're in a fat body? And I know we didn't talk about this in advance, so I hope I haven't you know, thrown you off too much. <laughs> oh, no, um... you're fine. I, I, love talking, I love talking about this because quite often when I say that I am in a fat body, mm. uh, is someone who's listening or, or someone who's reading what I'm saying will be very defensive on my behalf yeah, and, yeah, and, very, yeah. and kind of horrified um, because we have associated so many negative qualities with the word fat. Mm. When we hear fat, when it comes to a human body, we hear gluttonous, we hear yeah. lazy, we hear slobbish, we hear weak-willed, we hear, mm. oh gosh, we, we, we hear all these horrible things. And the thing is that none of these things are true about fat people any more than they're true about any other population of human beings. And so, so some of us who live in these larger bodies are reclaiming that word. Yeah. We're using that word as a neutral descriptor. So when I talk about fat people or fat bodies or myself as fat, it's exactly the same as saying, oh, that person is tall. That person is short. Exactly. That person is a brunette. And that said, don't call people fat unless that they, they have indicated that they're okay with that yeah. uh, or that they have used that word for themselves because there are so many negative qualities associated with that. You know, I'm not going to call Jody a fat person unless Jody has already indicated in my hearing that that's okay. Because mm -hmm. if I just randomly call Jody fat, Jody doesn't have any way to know whether I'm saying that as a neutral descriptor or yeah, whether I'm okay. saying she's all those other things. Yeah. So, so when I talk about fat folks, I mean that as a neutral a neutral descriptor of a population of people. Yeah, and when I say it about myself, it's just a description. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. And that's good to know too, for people I think are in terms of calling other people fat. 
so you're obviously, you know, I mean, I love your website and you've got so many beautiful photos on there to have women in larger bodies. I mean, why is it important that all bodies, I mean, I know that of course the answer to this, but for our listeners, why is it important that yeah. all bodies are represented in the media? Well, representation tells us what's normal and what's okay. So if, if the only people, and this is fairly true even today in 2020, if mm. the only people I see represented, and by representation, I don't necessarily mean the people that I pass by on the street, mm-hmm. um, but the people that I see represented by authority, by cultural authority, TV, magazines, the internet, Instagram influencers, all these, uh, you know, advertising. If the only people that I see are thin, white, primarily cisgender women, straight, who meet a very specific standard of beauty, mm. that is the only thing that, that becomes acceptable in my mind. And this mm. is established human psychology. If you want to contact me, I can give you citations for this. This is well known. This is not Lindley's theory. This is how human psychology works. So when we only see one thing, that's the only thing that's acceptable. And that means that we strive to meet that standard because that is a standard that has been set. So when we represent more types of human bodies, those become acceptable too. Mm-hmm. And that is just vitally important because, again, I am speaking with a U.S.-centric viewpoint here. Um, I cannot speak to, to in, in, you know, uh, racial dynamics or, or gender dynamics or, or size dynamics anywhere else. But, mm-hmm. uh, but at least here in the U.S., um, representing black bodies is vitally important because those bodies are historically oppressed. Um, representing people with visible disabilities mm-hmm. or invisible disabilities, representing mm-hmm. people who are fat or who are, um, you know, all the other things that make bodies different from that one standard, mm-hmm. because that's how we teach people that their bodies are okay too. Yeah. And obviously like not having a TV, I think that definitely makes a difference. I don't know if you know, do you know the Fiji study around when they got uh, TVs there that eating disorders? uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that does make a difference, but you've also, you know, you also struggled and you're aspiring to be able to buy some kind of diet product, but what would it have meant for you? And I guess for all of us, if we'd seen different shapes and sizes represented since we were little girls, I mean, I grew up in the seventies, so I've, you know, I've had, I'm 50 next year. So I've had 50 years of, of this stuff, what would it have meant for us? Well, not only would we have grown up being a lot more likely to think that our bodies are okay too, and that they don't need to be fixed, but it would mean that we could be putting, you know, all these decades of all of our lives, we could have been putting those resources somewhere else. Oh, um, think, you know, if yeah. you think about all the resources that dieting and trying to shrink your body occupies, you know, time, money, mental capacity, physical capacity, you know, energy, all of these things, you know, where else could we have been putting that this whole time? When mm-hmm. I stopped dieting, I part of the reason I was angry is because I felt so cheated. Yeah. How much money, even just, even just in that one year, how much money did mm-hmm. I spend on, on diet products? How much mental capacity did, did I give up because I was hungry all the time? Mm-hmm. You know, if you multiply that one year, how much of my emotions did I give up? Because mm-hmm. when I'm hungry, I am not happy. Yeah. How much time did I spend cranky that I could have been been more loving, more generous, more happy, not only with myself, but with everybody around me? 
you know? <laughs> like, what kind of career decisions did I make in that year that, that may have been influenced by being hungry? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> like, all I, these things. I think that is so important because there's a book that I read, what's, the, what's it called? I think From Fasting Saints to Anorexic Girls. The authors of that talk about dieting and, you know, going on to eating disorders being a corset, a very strict corset restricting mm. women and not just physically but psychologically. And when you put it like that, and I think back, I think I was – I think I was 12 or 13 when I went on my first diet and it was a whammy. It was full on, full on restriction. So from 13 until I went into, I went to an eating disorder group at 25, but really till I went into therapy at 27, that was what 14 years of every minute of the day obsessing with weight. That is a long time to be not obsessing about other wonderful creative things. Yeah, what did you give up in your life? What did you sacrifice mm. by not, you know, by having what was essentially a second career? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you're going to have a if you're going to have a second job and a third job, you know, make them worth it. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that we sacrifice when we are in part of diet culture is we sacrifice our children. We set our children up to spend their whole lives sacrificing the, I don't know, to the idol of thinness. Um, You know, we, we set them up for eating disorders. We set them up for body hatred. We sacrifice our own children to this. How sad is that? How unnecessary is that? Absolutely. And one of the things that I say often is that, you know, with the so-called obesity crisis is that it's dieting and it's this focus on weight, I think that actually causes that. And then, of course, the way they try to fix that is by putting us all on diets, you know, trying to get us all to diet rather than focusing on people's health. And we're starting to see studies come out, too, that are showing that weight stigma is at least as damaging to health as fatness is, if not, you know, if not more, because people who are in these larger bodies aren't getting appropriate health care because we're just prescribed diets instead. And that's a whole different rant. But I want to I want to exactly. touch back right quick on mm-hmm. um, on children with a quick personal story. So again, growing up, I didn't get a lot of these messages, but I mm-hmm. did get you know I, I absorbed plenty just from you know the sure. people around me. But I did not ever absorb from my parents that mm-hmm. my body was not okay. Yeah, and really important part of that too is because I was actually just an average sized child until puberty. Mm-hmm. And then my, then my German peasant genes kicked in and suddenly I looked like every other woman in my family where yeah. we're all large and blonde and we have childbearing hips and large yeah. breasts and <laughs> we all look like German peasants because that's what we are. <laughs> and and it's, it's a proud heritage and I love the schnitzel, but, mm. but, but, you know, we all look like this. And so suddenly I looked like every other woman in my family. And then I started to sort of get the edges of that disapproval. Mm. But, but I was also a pretty oblivious child as far as bodies went. Mm. And when I was, I don't know, 15 or 16, um, uh, my family had a tradition. Uh, Christmas was a big deal in my family. You know, mm. we did big decorations and big celebrations and a big, you know, everything was big. And one of our traditions was that, my siblings and I would open up a Christmas present early on Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas morning, we'd open the rest. Mm -hmm. And it was very exciting getting to choose one present. And when I was 15 or 16 on Christmas Eve, I saw that one of the presents was a book. I loved books. I was a nerd. I'm still a nerd. I loved books. So I went for the the package that was clearly a book Mm -hmm. and I unwrapped it very excitedly. And it was my first diet book. And the thing is that, 
I don't want to be too hard on my, my on my parents who made that decision because they are part of the world, you yeah, know, that's right. like that, that's right. that was the environment that they lived in. And they wanted to protect me from the bad treatment that fat people get. And yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, so it was all intentioned, but, but it was very shocking at the time mm. because it was the first time I had even considered a, that the messages I had been getting around fat bodies applied to me mm. because again, living in a, in a larger body was very recent for me and B that my parents thought bad things about my body. It was very much a shock. And I don't think I've ever talked about that publicly before, but like it was this, this sudden realization that, Oh no, that's me. The, <laughs> there's something wrong with me. Yeah. 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 I just said my heart sinks when I hear that story. It's so although there's a shift sort of happening around size inclusivity, and, and actually when you said it was the early 2000s, I was uh, a little bit shocked because I only sort of really discovered such a thing as fat acceptance when I moved home to Australia and I did some training with Sarah McMahon from Body Matters. But um, so well done you on getting into it so early. But um, <laughs> so there is a shift happening, especially with Instagram. Uh, but the majority of health and wellness experts, uh, and this probably leads into where parents get this idea that you were talking about around sort of um, dieting, I guess, because, you know, doctors, health and wellness experts, they really support and promote weight loss to fix fat bodies. Many are adamant that fat bodies should not be in the media, let alone on the beach. You know, the Tess Halliday cover and the amount of fat shaming that she had, you know, is just sort of one example of that. And they believe that this representation glorifies obesity. So the subject of the photo is often shamed either by themselves through their internalized thin ideal or externally by others. So I guess, firstly, what would you say to other women regarding all bodies being camera worthy? You know, there's a couple of things going on with this because uh, and I'm going to come back to that in just a second. But mm-hmm. I think what I spend a lot of time telling people is that our bodies as they exist right in this moment, not five years from now when you're thinner or five years from now when you, you know, can do 15 more sit-ups in a session or whatever, mm. you know, right now we are worthy of full participation in public life. Yes. That includes everything that mm. people in bodies that we consider more worthy than ours mm. get to do. We're worthy of going kayaking, going horseback riding, wearing a bikini, sitting on the beach, swimming, um, going to the pool, doing shopping, being fashionable, being mm. being seen as, as glamorous or elegant or classic or, yeah. you know, having a high profile career, being a politician, being, um, being a photographer. I didn't go into, I didn't pursue photography as a career for quite a while because I thought that nobody would hire a fat person. Oh. You know, like we are worthy of doing everything mm. that somebody mm. that in a body that is seen as more worthy gets to do. And that includes being on camera. Yeah. And when we appear on camera, whether that's photos or videos, whatever, TikTok, <laughs> you know, yeah, Instagram, yeah. Snapchat, whatever, yeah. when we represent our bodies or allow someone to represent our body, it not only, you know, helps us because we get to, we get to have full participation. We are worthy right now, but it also helps teach other people that they're worthy right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that when you're considering having photographs taken, Like you're not thinking about, oh, I want to give other people permission. You're thinking, oh God, I'm scared. (laughs) You know, it's it's really cool if you can, if you can take that wider view, but, but it's totally okay not to, you know, to be, to feel vulnerable about that and not be concerned about the larger representation of bodies and, 
in the world, mm -hmm. but that is a side effect when we believe that we're worthy to be represented, that, it, you know, encouraging other people is a side effect of that. But, but you have to internalize that mm -hmm. you are just as worthy as someone who you think has a worthy body, who's probably been Photoshopped and probably doesn't look like that anyway. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and, and in images, um, posing also can completely change what a body looks like. There are so many, an image is essentially a story. Mm. And most of the images that you see are sort of based on a true story. Like, like a movie might be based yeah, on a true story. Yeah, and there's yeah. only, only a slight resemblance to what actually happened. On my blog, if you go back a few pages, there mm -hmm. is a video, and I did not create this video, I, mm. um, but I, there's some commentary from me with it, of a woman who is, um, and it starts with her, uh, with just her, the way her body looks, the way that she looks without makeup, and she goes through um, hair and makeup and photoshopping, mm -hmm. and you see the whole process through the video, and the person who was represented at the end looks nothing like yeah, the person, yeah. the, the real human that was there at yeah. the start. And you have to understand that everything you see, if you're looking for a photographer and you're looking at portfolios, all those people are Photoshopped. If you're looking on Instagram, those people are filtered. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are mm -hmm. even so many, even so many cell phone programs now, smartphone programs that will filter you and make your eyes bigger and your lips bigger and smooth your skin. Nothing you see is real. And that sounds very Matrix. There was that show where they all went to the island for the, the fire festival. Did you see that on oh. Netflix? <laughs> the amount of fakery, honestly, I sat there, you know, my mum always says, you and your husband, my husband, Paul, you'd be fantastic on Gogglebox because <laughs> the stuff coming out of my mouth at all these fake people <laughs> was just hilarious. So, but yeah, you've got a really, really good point there. And I think that that's really, really, really important for that. Even therapists, we get caught up in needing to project some kind of uh, image. Well, and I want to pull that out right quick and, and talk about that because I feel like it's really important to understand that most of what you see, you know, is sort of a story that has been built around yeah. what was probably a regular human being to start with. But I also, <laughs> you know, when, when we talk about Photoshop and we talk about, you know, digitally changing bodies, it gets really complex because in my photography, I sort of try to create these images, these stories that are as close to real life as possible mm -hmm. to help people see their bodies as they actually are. Because if I remove that fat roll or yeah. I pretend or, or I digitally pretend that you don't have crow's feet, that's not, I'm taking away your story. I'm taking away, you know, your history. Mm -hmm. um, if I take away, like you earned those smile lines, you mm -hmm. earned those scars. Who am I to take that away from you? But at the same time, it depends on what those images are being built for. Yeah. Like if I'm doing, if I, when I do headshots, professional headshots for people, I will do a little bit of skin smoothing. I will do a little bit of eye lighting. Sure. I, I'll do a very light version of what a regular photographer might do because those affect your career. And yeah. I mean, I'm still not going to make you look thinner, but, but I will do very light retouching because it's one thing to come to me to, and, and, you know, I still want you to see your body the way it is, mm, but mm -hmm. we also live in the world. <laughs> you know, we live in the yeah, real world absolutely. and there are, there are ramifications to not meeting beauty standards. And it's hard enough for fat folks to get jobs. We get paid less when we get them. 
you don't need me giving a totally unvarnished product back to you in a way that might sabotage you. Yeah, so so we're going to compromise on that. Yeah. But like on regular portraits, no, I'm not going to Photoshop them. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, but um, like, that's like we have to acknowledge to that we live in the world too. Yeah, absolutely. And so just going back to that, the questions about all bodies are camera worthy. And I guess let's just cut out the camera and just say worthy. Mm-hmm. And this, I guess the second part of that question for me was health professionals listening. And it's something I, I bring up in almost every episode with people I'm interviewing, even therapists get caught up in this around colluding with the diet industry and basically saying, you know, that if we go back to that um, fat bodies in the media are glorifying obesity and that we should be taking care of our health and whatever else, what advice would you give to health professionals who are listening? You know, I actually talk on my social media, particularly my Instagram, which is Body Liberation with Lindley. I do actually talk a lot to healthcare professionals. Um, I do a lot of education for healthcare professionals around fat and fatness and weight, you know, weight stigma. But I think in a nutshell, first off, get your science right. Yeah. We don't actually have a way to make fat bodies thin in Mm. the long term. We don't have a way way to change human body size in the long term. Eventually, those bodies will return to their previous weight, and the majority of them will gain more mm. than they lost. It's something like two-thirds uh, of people will gain more than they lost. And again, you can yeah. contact me through my social media. I will give you citations for this. I am yeah, not making yeah. this up. I just want to add in there too, Lindy, that uh, and people who can keep the weight off, my experience is, is that they are chronic dieters for life. Yeah, and who wants, to, who wants to spend their life obsessing about that? Yeah. When we also, again, when I'm talking about getting your science right, we also do not have causational mm. evidence that fatness causes health problems. Mm. We have some correlational evidence. But there's also correlational evidence that tall people are more prone to certain health conditions and that people of certain ethnicities are more prone to certain health conditions and that short people <laughs> and redheads and brunettes we have wow. all kinds of cor- correlational evidence for mm. all sorts of things but we're not looking at we're not looking at tall people and going why are you so tall <laughs> when are you going to lose that height yeah, See, it's, yeah it's funny because it's so out there yeah <laughs> um and we don't have a way to make tall people short in the long mm-hmm. term mm-hmm. without like cutting off their feet and we also don't have a way to make fat people thin in the long term yeah and yet we have here in the u.s it's like a 70 billion dollar a year industry mm. based on telling people that they can do it if they're just worthy enough mm-hmm. if they try hard enough they mm-hmm. too can be thin and worthy mm-hmm. and none of it works there's just no evidence that any of it works again in the long term yeah, for more yeah. than about a year. So. Yeah, most evidence that we see is is typically a follow up after straight after a diet, or it's the same with um some certain types of therapies. A lot of the evidence is very short term sort of evidence. It's not taken you know, years sort of down the line. So on your website, I mean, you've got um, some beautiful stock photos and you don't want contributions of headless fatties or anyone without a head with (laughs) rare exceptions. Can you sort of say more about this and why? Yeah. So, so stock photos for anyone who's not familiar with that term, uh, stock photos are the photos that companies buy to use in their marketing, on their websites, in their social media, on TV, when they don't, either don't have the resources to or don't want to set up their own photo shoot. Yeah. If I'm a marketer for a company and I need a photo of someone, I don't know, drinking a glass of water, (laughs) I'm not going to hire a photographer and pay for a whole photo shoot to get one photo. I'm going to go to a stock photo website and buy that photo. So that's what stock photos are for. 
And we see them everywhere. They're so pervasive because it's pretty much anyone who, if it's not a photo of the person running the company or the, you know, the employees, or it's not like a big custom photo shoot from a big company, it's a stock photo. And there are also stock photos of, of objects and nature scenes and all sorts of things. But talking about people, that's where those photos come from. And those photos, they're gradually getting more diverse in the sense of what you can go and find on the big stock photo sites. Mm-hmm. You can now find more people, gradually, more people of color and more diversity, but it's very slow. And you've probably seen the, the official diverse boardroom photo um, the oh, corporate yeah, photo, yeah, 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 yeah. where it's, it's five people standing behind a conference table in front of a window. Mm. Uh, there are three white men, a black man, and an Asian woman, and they're okay. all thin. <laughs> and they all look like models because they are. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. so the stock photo work that I'm doing is a complete rebellion against this. It's the complete opposite. And you cannot see me, but I'm waving my arms around in person because I'm very passionate about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so on the site, I do, I do produce most of those photos myself. You can find these at bodyliberationstock.com. And these links will be in the show notes as well. They will. And um, I do produce most of those myself, but I do have some contributors. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of photographers who contribute photos and then some illustrators. And they all get paid a living wage for their work because that's really important to me. They get yeah. a, a great big royalty percentage. You can find all that information on the site. Mm-hmm. But I'm very picky in what I'll accept as a contribution. Because again, if I'm rebelling against the normal, <laughs> against the beauty standards based stock photos, I can't very well take beauty standards based stock photos from other people. And one of the most pernicious kinds of photos that you see is the one of the headless fatty. And these are, um, here in the States, you often see this as a video clip, like on your local news when you yeah. tune in on the TV, it will be a fat person walking down the street and it, the camera's usually focused on their belly and they don't have a head. And they're also carrying some kind of, uh, in inverted commas, because I don't really use this word, but junk food. Oh, yes. And, yes. and this is yeah, the reason or, or like we have giant, an obesity crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that is that is so dehumanizing. Yeah. Like can you imagine if you and part of the reason that this is done is so that people don't um is so that people don't have to get model releases. So it, it's really shady that way too. Because uh, if the person can't okay. be identified, they can't come back and sue you because you took a photo of them without permission. So that that's part of why that happens. Yeah, um okay. and and of course the legality of that is different in various places, but it's just, it's so dehumanizing. We don't mm. see that with any other population. Mm. It's only fat people that get their heads cut off. And, you know, now that I've oh. said this, someone, someone will come back to me and email me three weeks after this oh, yeah. and say, you have headless fatty photos on your site. And it's true that I do have a few. Mm-hmm. I took those with, with, with very um, specific intent. <laughs> yeah, I know one of them in particular because when I was looking for, um, you wrote a guest post for me and I was looking for one, there were some beautiful photos of, um, I think, an afternoon tea where, you know, you could see someone sitting with a cup of tea and it was just, but it was a close-up and I just thought they were just beautiful. So they're done very classy and... Yeah, they're very clearly not the intent is... Yes, you, you're not, yes, that's right, that's right. Right. So women who come to you, uh, you know, they come for, I notice on your site, they come for a variety of photos. Can you tell us a little bit about what type of photos you take? And I know you, you take the stock photos, but people, I think, come to you for portraits and other kind of photos as well. And what's the kind of experience that you typically like to provide for your clients and how they experience it, I guess? 
So the people who come to me for photos, um, as far as client photography, as opposed to like stock photography or events, um, I, do, I do regular portrait photography. Um, and what that looks like is it's often someone who is working on accepting their body and they have come to me because maybe they're recovering from an eating disorder or they have, um, yeah. they've reached a birthday milestone and they're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to see my body as it exists. Um, I also do boudoir photography. That's the, that's the sort of risque, sexy lingerie photos, if you're not already familiar with that. And I, every once in a while, I'll do headshots. And then I also do like small business branding, which is where somebody has a small business and they need photos. They need a headshot, but they also need photos for their, their website and their social media and brochures. And so we'll do a full photo session, but it's based on their business. Yep, and right. the, experience, the experience that I give people is very warm and fuzzy because I am primarily working with people in different oppressed populations. I also work with quite a few trans folks mm -hmm. because again, you know, when you're talking about learning to see your body, trans folks are often in need of that as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. And particularly, you know, particularly trans folks who are experimenting with different presentations. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes like, I recently had a client who, and these photos didn't get released publicly because there are, you know, if those, and I don't name my clients unless they specifically request it. And I don't mm -hmm. tag them unless they specifically, you know, ask mm -hmm. me to. But in theory, you know, if these got connected to them, it could mess with their career. So, of course, those, these didn't get put on the Internet. But, sure. but, but this particular client um, is presenting as male. They are not out as being transgender. Um, but they wanted to come to me and be super girly. And like get the feather boa out and do the thing. Mm -hmm. And we had a blast and they got to sort of leave their public persona behind at the door. So a lot of what I do is just giving people space for that, giving people space to just leave behind all the negative crap yeah, and have it be a totally safe space for their body. Um, and I also, I also do a lot of informal coaching, you know, because I live with an anxiety disorder. And so for me, when I interact with people, it's really important that I know what's going to happen in what order, why are we going to do this? What happens if I get overwhelmed and yeah. need a minute? Am yeah. I allowed to set boundaries? How can I set boundaries? And so I make that available. Like I give people so much information. <laughs> it's probably oh, overwhelming. So wonderful. No, no. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I just had my first professional photo shoot last week, my first one ever. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, even for someone like me who has done, I've done a lot of work on myself over the years in terms of size acceptance and obviously eating disorder recovery. It's really scary, you know, but yeah. have, firstly having the photos done and then putting them out there, you know? So the fact that you are providing people with, with that coaching, I, I think is just wonderful. You know, I think it would really put people at ease. So fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, particularly people who are not used to seeing their bodies because mm. particularly you know, those of us in large bodies, we are taught to hide them. We're taught to stand in the back of photographs. We're taught to be the one behind the camera. Yeah. <laughs> so not only that, but there's such a big power imbalance. When I pick up that camera, I become an authority figure. Mm -hmm. I'm the one with power in that scenario. So I have to be really cautious about how I use that power uh, absolutely. because it's, it's really easy for a photographer to just give you a really terrible experience without meaning to. Yeah. And the way I portray you is then the way that you are going to see yourself because that's literally the means that you will use to see yourself. So, yeah. so it is absolutely vital for me to be respectful of your body and supportive of your body, no matter what kind of body you come in with. And I think that comes back to like, you know, you receiving the diet book that year, you know, someone's coming 
to become, I, I always talk about people becoming more and more their true selves. And if there's someone behind the camera, it's, it's like, you know, it's like going to the doctor and I, I've said this in one of my other interviews, going for a pap smear and being told, oh, you know, you could do with losing a little bit of weight or going to get my braces and ha, 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 oh, you know, Invisalign, you might lose some weight. (laughs) Yeah, I know, don't even go there. (laughs) But the photographer is in a position of power and, you know, so everything you're talking, I think this is going to be really, really useful for other photographers out there that might be listening to, and actually anyone in any profession, you know, women and men, they don't need to be given a diet book everywhere they go <laughs> so, yeah and so for women out there listening who don't live in your hometown what should they look for when having their personal and professional photos taken so you've, you've just sort of started to touch on that but is there anything else you would add to that oh gosh so I have so much to say about this that I wrote a whole ebook about it it is oh, did you? It is, it is on my website. Oh, yeah. great. I'll give you some material right now, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, there's a whole free ebook about this because I do have people who travel in to see me. Uh-huh. Um, they'll fly in for a weekend, see some of Seattle's beautiful sites, get their photos right. taken, and, you know, and go home. But, you know, for a lot of people, that's not practical. And sometimes when there's an ocean in between, that's a little bit of a big deal, too. Mm, um, so especially I, with I coronavirus. Yes. And for the record, um, as of the the taping of this podcast, I am not doing client photography because where I live outside Seattle, um, it's it's not safe for me to do so. And it's not safe for my clients. That will change as soon as it's safe to do so. So by the time this is released, if we're in luck, that will change. (laughs) But as of this taping, not so much. But yes, I get so many questions from people, you know, how do I find a photographer I can trust? How do I find somebody near me? You know, I can't fly to Seattle. How do I find somebody that's going to work for me. There are a lot of different things you can look for, but the most important thing is to go with your gut feeling. When you look at a photographer's website, how do their photos make you feel? Do they, are you intimidated or are you, are you excited? Like, can you see yourself in those photos? And I don't mean by the bodies in the photos, but I mean sort of the look and feel of the photos. Do those feel comfortable to you? Do they feel, is it, do they feel intimidating or do they feel exciting? Does the style work for you? Because the style that the photographer has on their website, the look and feel of those photos, is what your photos are going to look like too. And so if you were to come to me, I do a lot, a lot of nature work, a lot of, um, a lot of natural light. I don't yeah. do like really hard edge glamour or fashion look. So you wouldn't come to me for that. You would want to find somebody that matched that. But when you look at a photographer's website too, and you look at their portfolio, what kind of bodies do you see? Yes, do you see larger point. bodies? Do you see bodies of color? Do they have anybody there with maybe a visible disability? Are there people who look like you? That's probably why I remember looking when I was looking for mine, feeling so intimidated because so many photographers, and I don't know whether they do take photos of, of big people or not, but there certainly wasn't any on their website. Yeah, I mean, I have a um, a friend who is not local to me who mm worked with a photographer and it was very, very vulnerable for her because she Mm -hmm. did some uh, fine art nude photos for this Mm -hmm. photographer she modeled. It was very vulnerable, a very important experience for her. And the photographer did not put those photos in his portfolio. And she was crushed because that was her assumption and her understanding that 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 was what was what was going to result in those representation in that portfolio. And so then when he didn't live up to that, you know, that was very crushing for her. Mm. But like, look at, you know, and one of the things that I haven't talked, talked about here is age. Are there people who aren't 20? Yes. In that portfolio? Are there people who 
are not female presenting? Are the people in those photos, think about your own gender presentation. And I don't mean you have to be LGBT. I mean, if you're a woman, are you a really girly girl? Mm. Or would you rather have a more androgynous appearance? Are there people who, who present like you do? You know, are the photos very either really, really feminine or really, really masculine with nothing in between? And is, if so, is that comfortable for you? Mm. If there are people who are, who are not 22-year-old models in the portfolio, are they hidden by scenery? Are they twisted so that their bodies look smaller than they, than they probably really are? Because you can, tell so much, you can tell so much about how a photographer feels about bodies by their portfolio. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if they have a studio, and if their studio is shown in the images, or if they have like a section on their studio that shows the setup, mm-hmm. um, does it look like you can move around without bumping into things? Have they, yeah, yeah. you know, given respect to that? And again, there's a, there's a lot more stuff in the, in the ebook that you can download. But the other thing is that you can ask them questions. So you and, have the power as the client. You get to ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. And is that all included in your ebook? What to ask? Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a ton in here. Okay. Yeah, there's questions you can ask, all, this, all that kind of thing. So I, what we might do is we, we're starting to run out of time. So we might wrap it up. And because what I'm hoping people do is head to your website and download your ebook, because I think that would be a really wonderful resource uh, for them to be able to take away from today. So I guess just... One final message for someone who is struggling with her body size. What would you say to them? Find people who look like you. Follow mm. those people. Like I'm talking about like on social media, but yeah. also in real life. That's okay too. You know, yeah. like seek out people who look like you. Like look at people in the grocery store. I mean, don't follow them around creepily, but like <laughs> look at, you know, don't find someone at the grocery store who looks like you and follow them home. Please. But, but find somebody, find people who look like you. And start to learn to appreciate mm. bodies like that. And sometimes that means, you know, we were talking about sacrifices earlier. Sometimes that means sacrificing a particular magazine so that you have more time to devote to, yeah. to taking in bodies that look like yours. But social media is a body variety wonderland. Go and find the folks who, who look like you. Yeah, this is really important because for some people out there listening, they may not even know that these accounts exist. And you recently wrote an article for me, which I will put in the show notes as well, where you give at least five examples of people to follow. So people can mm-hmm. do that. And I know that you've also written blogs with many, many, many resources for this kind of stuff because I wasn't aware some time ago. And then I was like, oh, oh, okay, here's this person in a fat body doing fashion kind of shoots. And oh my God, doesn't she look beautiful? And oh, wow, look at that top. I want one of those. So I think it's really, really good. And it goes back to one of our original sort of questions around diversity in the media and really good point for people to be able to follow those kind of people to really start to just feel seen, I think. Yeah, it's completely possible to retrain your brain. Yeah that more types of bodies are okay and acceptable. And the yeah. way to do that is just to look at different bodies, you know, find, find people who look like you, but also find people who don't look like you in various other ways. Mm. If you are a white person, find some people of color to follow. If you are able-bodied, find some people with visible disabilities, like get those images into your head because that will start counterbalancing what you've been absorbing your whole life. 
Yeah, and I think I want to say something to therapists too, for therapists and, and any other sort of mental health professional to start using uh, body diverse photos too, rather than, you know, I mean, I've got a mix on my both of my websites. So some thin people, some in between, some fat people. I think it's really important for people like us to start really leading the way with this. So it's for FAO therapists. So your website is rich with diverse, fat positive and health at every size goodies. What can visitors expect to find there? So what else have you got going on there? My website at bodyliberationphotos.com is my central site. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything I do is there or linked from there. Um, So I have have the blog, I have my client photography work, my portfolio, uh, the stock photos are there. I also have a shop that I run that is linked from that site. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are looking for free goodies, I have all kinds of things for you. And you will find those by going to bodyliberationphotos.com. And right at the top of the page, there is a a piece of text that says start here with flames on either side. And that is where you're going to go for your your awesome free stuff. There's so much information and so many resources. And just, you know, when we're talking about looking at bodies that are like yours, if you go look at the portfolio, I'm betting if you live in a larger body that you'll identify with some of those. So you can just go through, I mean, use that as your starting point, if nothing else, you know, find some of those photos. But yeah, so everything is there. You can find me on Instagram at Body Liberation with Lindley. Uh, I'm not very active on Twitter, but you can find me at Lindley Ashline. And on Facebook, I'm at Body Liberation with Lindley Ashline. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lindley. That's absolutely fantastic. And I think women listening today, no matter what size body they're in, they are going to get so much from everything you've talked about today. And, you know, the work you're doing is really amazing. And I just love it. So thank you for coming. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. This is episode 13. For the show notes, go to thesoulcenter.online forward slash soul sessions 13 body liberation thanks for listening bye for now thank you for listening to the soul sessions podcast love this episode head over to itunes to subscribe rate and leave a review it's very much appreciated thank you to learn more about how you can befriend your body feelings mind and soul get jody's free 65 page ebook at the soul until next time